Acts 19 to verse 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I know we, we, uh, it's great when churches grow. It's great when people grow. But the, you and I are nothing and buildings are nothing. It's the Bible and the gospel that has to get out and has to have more and more of an influence. It has to grow or else darkness expands further and further. Without light, darkness takes over. So the Bible is what we emphasize. And... Um, when, when, when the word of God is being preached and being lived and being believed, reactions are kind of disappointing. I sometimes get very disappointed at how people react to the good news of the gospel. And I just noticed my notes. I better stop for a second or else I'll have glaring eyes the whole service. I was reminded that the ensemble is practicing right after church. So if you're involved in the ensemble, stay after church. And I'll get that. Okay, don't kill me now. All right. I'm, are we happy? Good. Now. Back to my message, all right? People react to the gospel. They react to the gospel in all kinds of crazy ways. You think, I'm telling you some good news. I'm giving you some hope. But it doesn't, it doesn't stop with just, just strange reactions, but sometimes there's anger that the words of this book stirs up in people, even Christian people. I mean, I know a lot of Christians who are just very picky and choosy about what they believe and what they, they, they want to obey. We all love the Bible until it talks about our sin. So bad reactions are to be expected, especially when we realize these words affect culture. They don't just belong in a building. They belong in society. They're supposed to affect everyone, and they do. It actually changes people from being dependent upon idols and relying on darkness, living in darkness, and it frees them to worship the only Savior, the only true God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Paul's gospel turned uh, the entire city of Jerusalem upside down, even inside out. I mean, it really, you know, jumbled things up. And the truth is, it'll do the same for you if you'll let it, all right? Now, even if you don't believe it, it'll still upset you. And even if you find it hard to believe, it will still encourage you. Amen. All right. So let's start back there. Look back at verse 16, chapter 19. And last week we talked about a great revival, the positive effect of gospel preaching. Verse 16 to 19. Acts chapter uh, 19, verse 16. And the man in whom the evil spirit was, if you remember, there's this guy, a demon-possessed guy, who these exorcists come in and try to use the name of Jesus as a power force over him. Well, the, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them, seven men. And he prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I mean, one man overcoming seven men, throwing them out of his house um, in a mess. Verse 17, and this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. So everybody knew about this one event. And what was the result? Look at what was the result. A healthy fear of God. Great fear fell on them all. You don't mess with the devil. You don't mess with Ouija boards or tarot cards. We said you don't mess with the, the, the darkness of this world. Uh, you say, well, it's just a Halloween party. Yeah, but it's dark. It's just you wouldn't. Uh, some kids grow up with their parents addicted to horror movies, and it affects everybody, folks. And um, there's, a, there's a reason why we need a healthy fear of God. 
And all over Ephesus, people had a healthy fear of God and of the devil. Keep going there. Um, uh, it says, fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. It became very big, very special, very honored, precious. It was not a name that you mocked or you used flippantly. Uh, uh, everywhere, Jesus, the name of Jesus was honored. Verse 18, and many that believed. There were a lot of people that got saved. They were converted. They came and they confessed and showed their deeds. That's repentance. It's where, you know, it's not a private thing to say you're sorry. That's a thing you need to say you're sorry to the person you hurt, especially to God and to the people you were deceiving. This city was into darkness. This city, uh, when you came into Ephesus, there was such, it was known as a, as a, as a capital of brothels and of dark magic and all of a sudden, these people were like, I'm through. This, this thing that I used to practice, these uh, fortune-telling deeds I used to do, and they confessed it was all uh, of the devil. It was, all, um, it was all wrong, and they repented. And that was so, such an important attitude. We need it again today because we're, we're, we're too hard. Uh, demonic influences, look, keep going there in verse uh, 19, and many of them which used curious arts. Curious arts is magic, witchcraft, sorcery, uh, brought their books together and burned them. Now, the, Paul didn't tell them to do that. They knew they needed to do it. They destroyed those influences so that there was no way back. And they burned them before all men. They had a big bonfire. They counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. That's over 50,000 euros worth of books. And uh, verse uh, uh Verse 20 says, so mighty grew the word of God. But one thing that you, you miss in all this thing is that idolatry is being turned away from because that's going to be the reaction of the next few verses. They were turning away from the worship of statues and idols and other gods. And hopefully, let's see if we get it. The Bible governed people's lives. That all of a sudden, instead of fear governing, instead of the, the, the government governing, the book governed. And don't we need that? Wouldn't it be great if parents raised their kids to fear God, to love Jesus Christ, to know the Bible and let it govern their life? You can trust them. But if you have to have a camera on your kid every time he leaves the house, you have not done your job, have you? And yet that's what the government wants. The government wants cameras everywhere because our, our culture doesn't have a fear of God. We don't have a, we don't have a concept of right or wrong. This was the effect of, rev of revival and the preaching of the gospel. It was, uh, it was so good to experience. Now, verse 21. Verse 21, we pick up where we are today. And after these things were ended, Paul purposed in his spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Verse 22, and he sent uh, so he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto them, unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Now, just a bit here. Paul makes some plans. He's been in Ephesus for a while. He's taught in a school for two years. There's been a revival. All of Asia Minor is, is being evangelized. And Paul says, all right, I've got some more plans, which is kind of cool. He's always planning. A lot of people think, you know, being a pastor, all you have to do is just scribble it down a few notes and yell. And that's not, that's not pastoring. That's not even preaching. 
there's constant planning. There's constantly organizing and saying, where should we be next year? And how do we get there? Because this, can you imagine Moses just going, let's see, uh, let's go this way. No, 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 Moses is getting directions on where to go, when to stop. There were times where Moses was going through the wilderness and he just stopped and stayed there for months at a time. He's waiting on God to say, move and go on. There is organization, planning. Paul was always making plans, preparing other people to serve the Lord. He sent these two guys ahead and says, you guys, this is part of your training. You go on over there. I need you to do this without me. As, as, he, kept, as he was moving, that was his calling. Now, there are some people who are called to stay in a place. That's a pastor. They're supposed to pastor a church like Timothy and Titus were called to be. But Paul was a church starter. He was a trailblazer. He faced the darkness, would walk right into the worst situations and would bring the gospel. And he would start a Bible-believing church where the devil had been in control before. That was Paul's calling. And so he always kept moving and he sought to go back to Jerusalem and then he even planned on going to Rome. Now I want you to understand, going back to Jerusalem meant 800 miles. If you just... As a crow flies, if you just could fly by airplane, it was 800 miles back to Jerusalem. And he always took the long way. And then from Jerusalem, he said, then I'm going to go back over to, uh, to Rome. That's 1,500 miles from Jerusalem as the crow flies. Now, this is a man who walked everywhere and only got on cheap, cheap boat trips, right? There was no Ryanair back then. So that's quite a plan, quite a trip. He says, I'm going to go, I'm going to head back to Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, I'm going to get to Rome. That's a huge undertaking. Um, now, uh, verse 23. At the same time, so Paul's staying behind, and he kind of senses he needs to stay. Verse 23, in the same time, there arose, and I love these words. I love how Luke records, no small stir. I love that. About that way. Um Let's just keep on reading down to verse 28. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. What does that mean? They made a lot of profit. Whom he called together, he had a big labor union meeting, with the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Sounds like Bill Gates. We made a lot of money off of suckers, all right? Verse 26, moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia. What a great testimony is about to be spoken. Watch this. This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be said at naught. We're going to lose our wealth. Verse 27 goes on, but that also the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. When they heard these things, they were full of wrath. Remember, we saw first group people being thrilled at the gospel, getting saved, deciding to come out of the darkness, turning away from idolatry. They are delighted to have church and preaching in the truth. This group are furious. They were full of wrath. Verse 28 continues, and they began to cry out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So when we start here, Demetrius, this first guy that we find out, 
He's very famous for the starting and instigating this riot. He was the head of the local silver smiths workers union. And these craftsmen, and it was a craft, they made idols, and especially they made uh, expensive silver shrines. It says, verse 24, a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana. Now, what that meant is he would make something that weighed a ton, all right? And I say a ton, it weighed maybe a hundred pound weight. He made out of silver a temple for their god, uh, Diana. And people would line up and everybody had to have this little temple, even though they were in the city that had the temple in it of, to Diana. So this thing, I don't know if it was silver plated or if it was solid silver, this thing was the big deal in Ephesus. Everybody had was kind of like you go out west and you go from house to house and there's always a, a statue to Mary sitting outside of the house. It was just something that everybody had to have. If you're Irish, you, you got to have this, this, this uh, icon there. Well, everybody in Ephesus had to have a shrine to, uh, uh, to Diana and old Demetrius was glad to supply for a fee, okay? So Diana is an unusual goddess, all right? You really would be very, uh, uh, I don't know, you gotta be very mature to do your study on some of these old gods, all right? Because they were not clean. They're not, uh, they're, as a matter of fact, you know when God allowed and brought Israel into the promised land, he said, I don't want you keeping their pictures. I want you to destroy their images because they were filthy images. And the Irish, you go into some of these areas, there's a Catholic church, an old Catholic church from the 1100s, and there are gargoyles up there. I mean, they're not even saints. And then there's, I can't even pronounce the, the word, there are sex symbols on the walls in the churches, going back before the time of Patrick and stuff, and they're there. That stuff was filthy, and Diana was along with that thing. Diana was a beautiful goddess, all right? Had lots of different idols to her, but the most famous one looked like this, all right? Uh, she was uh, known as Ishtar, which we call the word Easter from. Ashtoreth, she was known as Venus. You ever hear women are from Venus and men are from Mars? Uh, she's also known as Minerva. And uh, she was worshiped at the time of the moon, when the moon was new and when the moon was full. And uh, she was also known as the Huntress, which means she went around, so her bow made the shape of a, of a crescent new moon. And she was the goddess of fertility and life. And in other words, she was the goddess of sex, like most every Hollywood star wants to be known. It's still out there. Diana is, the spirit of Diana is in every one of those Hollywood stars. They want to be worshiped. Now, um, uh, this this um, preaching of Paul was threatening the great temple of Diana. Now, when they say a no small stir in verse 23, that's a nice way of saying there was a massive angry reaction to the gospel. Stirred them up, got the people upset. Now, there's a man named Billy Sunday. Now, this is a real picture of him posing. Back in the 1920s, one of my heroes, Billy Sunday, was a baseball player, and somebody gave him the gospel after one of the games. He was, he was uh, drunk. Uh, he had played a, a, a very famous baseball game in, in, in Chicago. And he had gone and gotten drunk and was on his way home. And there was a, a, a what they call a mission, which was for drunkards and for addicts. 
And as he passed by, somebody came out and says, good sir, where would you go if you died tonight? And he stopped in his tracks. And he said, I have no idea. He says, come on in. And the scene was going on. He sat down and heard the preaching of the gospel. And he got saved. And that night, he says, Lord, I guess you own me. Whatever you want me to do. And God made a preacher out of him. Became one of the greatest evangelists. You ever hear of Billy Graham? Well, before Billy Graham, there was Billy Sunday. And Billy, Billy Sunday actually was instrumental in shutting down and making it illegal to buy or sell alcohol in America, made it a, a, um, an amendment in the United States Constitution because he believed that it was a demon drink. It was a drink of the devil, and it ruined more families than ever helped anybody. And so he preached, and listen to his statement. He said this, I have not my, done my job as a preacher unless I have caused one of two things to happen. I'll either make you mad or I aim to make you glad. It's up to you. Amen. And so when you come to church and you get a little agitated, then I'm doing my job. If you come and you get thrilled, then I'm doing my job. If you came and you leave the same way, I failed. Demetrius was upset. He got upset at, at this way. I like how it says they were, there was no stir about that way, referring to Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and he was really upset at that Paul guy. He says um, there in verse 26, moreover you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost all throughout Asia, this Paul guy. He says he's persuading grown men to abandon idolatry. You know what that means? All the money-paying idolaters were quitting. They weren't buying his wares anymore. And they were becoming Christ-honoring Christian men. You see, Paul's job was to persuade men that man-made objects are not to be worshipped. Now, I was in, in New York, in New York City. Uh, Nita and I went, and, and we went on top of the World Trade Center. I've been there. You look at that thing. Uh, uh, you take the elevator going up there. Your ears pop, 107 stories. You get outside. We went outside, looked over the ledge. There was no railing or anything there. It was magnificent, folks. Oh, plane took it down uh this uh now they've got this thing called the one world uh trade center there uh we went up top of that thing too they won't let us outside now but it is magnificent should it be worshipped no it's just man-made well when when you tell men that something somebody else made shouldn't be worshipped you know that makes sense <laughs> that may well i grew up my mama says that this gives you luck it's made by people well, I go to my priest, I confess my sins. He's a man. A man can't forgive your sins. You see, when you talk to men plain, men go, yeah, that makes sense. And it upsets people. He's upset that uh, it's like talking to a man and telling him that alcohol is a demon drink. Shouldn't be consumed for one second of your life unless it is a medicine. And there are much better medicines than alcohol. So when a pub shuts down and grown men, grown men stop going and stop spending their money on the devil's brew, you've got the message. So the craftsmen become furious with, along with Demetrius. Uh, and I love this, verse 28, it says this, And when they heard these things, oh, they were full of wrath, and they cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. You know what they're saying? Great is our wealth that's about to be taken away. That's what they're saying. They know that, that idol shops were closing down. They're going to have to lay off people. 
So they decided that that preaching has to stop. Uh, the temple at um, the temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, it was built and destroyed and built and destroyed and built, rebuilt three times, okay, because of wars and stuff like this. It's 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, massive columns. I forget, ah, like 80 feet tall. It is, it is still, if you go all over Europe, it is still the best um, standing evidence of that, that, that type of structure. You go into Rome, you won't see anything this beautiful. It is still one of the most beautiful ancient empty temples. Um, they, uh, uh, the rest of the world worshipped Diana along with and built copies of this temple in Spain, in France, and in Rome. This was, to, to the Ephesians, this was their basilica, this was their cathedral, and it was being attacked. So riot spreads throughout the city. Look at verse 29. And the whole city was filled with confusion, having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, uh, Paul's companions in travel, and they rushed with one accord into the theater. So uh, this riot um, begins because these men begin to cry out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! And we'll come back to that thought in a minute, but notice who they grab on their way into the theater. Now this isn't a movie theater, right next to uh, the temple was a huge amphitheater. And 50,000 people could fit in the amphitheater and the whole city's moving in there and they caught two Christians. And um, they're blaming the Jews and the Christians for uh, turning people away from idolatry. So verse 30 goes on. And when Paul would have entered into the people, the disciples suffered him not. They had to hold him back. Verse 31, and certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, they sent word unto him, probably texted him, I'm not sure, but desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Why? Because it's a murder hole. They, it's, it's sure death in the middle of a mob of 50,000 people there. Uh, Paul, I mean, he wants to try to intervene. He's got two of his men in there that are at risk, and he wants to try to defend them. And then look at verse 32. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. <laughs> and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. You ever see a crowd running and they're all going, maybe there's an accident or maybe there's a sail on or whatever, and everybody starts running and you start running too. <laughs> you don't know why you're running, but let's go, you know. Well, that's how everybody ends up in the theater there. Verse um, uh, verse 32 continues, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together, verse 33, and they drew one other guy, a guy named Alexander, out of the multitude. Now, he's a Jew. He's not a Christian at all. Now, they're blaming the Jews and the Christians. The Jews putting him forward, they says, Alexander, you go tell them we're not to blame. And Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. It's kind of cute, uh, he doesn't care what happens to these Christian men. He just wants to say, don't blame us Jews, which is very unique because Jews don't like idolatry, do they? And yet they had never influenced the city. They had quietly coexisted in Ephesus. They had never tried to teach that, that, uh, that something made by man is not God. And so they're just sitting there, and there's Alexander saying, ladies and gentlemen, we're not against you. We Jews want to live with you. It's those Christians that are troublemakers. 
you know, if, 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 if another church, if, if, if there's one thing that will happen, Christians stir up problem and all the other churches will go, well, we're not like them. And they'll distance themselves instead of saying, yep, that's the gospel. Yep, that's the preaching that needs to be heard. The Jews sort of pull back in the attempts to make Paul all to blame. And this is really cute. There was a two-hour uproar. Look at verse 34. When they knew that he was a Jew, that Alexander was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours, they cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now, I think that's very funny. So we'd call that a one, uh, one-sided shouting match. You ever been in one? I was trying to talk to somebody earlier in the week, and I got an earful. <laughs> breathe, breathe, remember to breathe. <laughs> I said, can I speak? No. <laughs> can you imagine going on like that for two hours? You know, you go to a sports stadium, and what do they cry out? Ole, 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 ole. Now, that's okay for a little while, but you would listen to it for two hours, man. Muhammad Ali would always come in, crowd would gather around, and what would he say? I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Okay, enough. But if he did that for two hours, you'd want to shoot him. Now, you watch some of these riots over in the Middle East, and what do they cry out? Allah Akbar! Allah Akbar! And they'll go on for two hours. God is great. In other words, two hours of saying the same thing is mind-numbing. They're trying to shout and make it so loud so that these Christians have no word and can't be heard, and it's just a one-sided shouting match. How do you win? Hmm. Well, that's the theater. They actually uncovered this thing. I wish I had a picture I could show you, but it's not as good a quality, of what it looked like under all the dirt. It had been abandoned, and they started to excavate this thing. It's massive right next to the Temple of Diana. This thing, can you imagine standing right in the middle of that thing and trying to make a defense? He says, ladies and gentlemen, let me talk to you for a minute. You know, there are some times, and I'll be real plain, there are some times when you're in a battle and the best thing to do is to wait and let God defend. How do you win an argument against 50,000 angry men? God wins. Watch this. A town clerk appears. You know what a clerk is, don't you? A paper pusher. All right? This is not the town governor, the mayor. This is not the head of the Garda. This isn't a sergeant. This is a clerk. Look at verse 35. And when the town clerk (laughs) had appeased the people, he said, You men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of Ephesus is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana? He says, It's common knowledge about us here in Ephesus. We all worship Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter. I decided not to teach you about that because that's a whole other thing. See, people, including the Muslims, uh, they have rocks that they think came down out of space and that Abraham found and all this stuff. And let me tell you, it's all demonic. It's all coming up in the future, folks. Just, he says, about that stone falling from Jupiter. Verse 36, seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly what is he saying Uh, let's be reasonable let's stop this right now verse 37 for ye have brought hither these men which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess now that's very good because he said i know what's going on he 
I'm sure Demetrius is saying, Paul's robbing us. And, Demet uh, and uh, the clerk, we don't even know his name, he says, he's not robbing you. You may be robbed of your profits, but people aren't buying your stuff anymore. So he's not saying they're not robbers of your churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. He knew what was going on. Um, do you know, can I, can I show you something? Go to Psalm 115. Psalm, hold your place here in Acts 19, Psalm 115. How do you talk to people about idolatry? And I know people say, well, I'm not worshiping, I'm just venerating. No, you're talking to it. You're talking to it. And you're imagining that that image, whether it's of Mary or blessed John the Baptist, Joseph, you're imagining, St. Christopher, you're imagining that that image is channeling your prayer up to somebody up in heaven. It is worship and it is wrong. Psalm 115, verse 4. Their idols are, what's the first word? Silver mm, and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths. You ever noticed? Every St. Christopher medal I've ever seen never spoke, never wiggled, like over in Battle Spittle. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. They can't hold you. Feet have they, but they walk not. They never can come to you. You always have to carry them. Neither speak they through their throat. You know, when you talk about idols, don't worry about the idol. Don't worry about blaspheming the idol. Worry about going right at the problem. Look at verse 8. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusted them. They're dumb. They can do nothing. Why would you worship an idol, an image, a statue, a picture that can do nothing? Worship Jesus and him alone. Worship the living. When Jesus said, if you, Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, which was revolutionary. So Demetrius says, I'm sorry, the, the town clerk says, these guys aren't blaspheming your goddess. He's upsetting you. Amen. So he says, why don't you use the court system? Uh, verse 838. Wherefore, if Demetrius and his craftsmen, which are with him, have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. Let them go to court. That's a good thing. Why don't you use the court system instead of a riot? I wish, I wish everybody for the last five years would have used the court systems instead of rioting and burning. You say, well, we can't be heard. Yes, you can. You just have to be patient. Verse 39, but if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. Look what he warns, verse 40, for we, Ephesians, are in danger to be called in question by Rome for this day's uproar, there being no cause whereby we may give an, uh, an account of this concourse. We can't explain why we had this, verse 41. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed 50,000 people. <laughs> he says, guys, we're in trouble if we don't immediately vacate. Rome will hear about this, send armies down, and we'll be in serious trouble. And so he dismissed the crowd. Who just won the argument? God did. You see, I'm just here to encourage you. When you are at work and you hand out a gospel track, and all of a sudden the boss calls you in and says, you're not allowed to do that, say, it's on my lunch. They're talking about everything else. How come I can't hand out a gospel track and invite somebody to church? How come I can't talk about Jesus? 
Stand your ground, amen. But don't be, uh, don't be obnoxious. And when it gets so heated, just sit there and let God do the fighting for you. Because Jesus didn't call us to a physical warfare, did he? You say, well, I might lose my job. Yeah, you might, but it'd be worth it. Because they'll see a Christian instead of an angry man. They'll see a Christian who's cared about souls. And watch God bring in a town clerk so that there was no threat. Nobody died that day when there was going to be. Nobody was hurt because God intervened. He sent in a, a paper pusher. <laughs> All right. Now, verse, chapter 20, verse 1. Paul heads for Jerusalem. Now, I put a question mark in there because he's not going to go straight to Jerusalem. Look, verse 20. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him his disciples, and he embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts, he had given them much exhortation. He came into Greece, and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him there, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied uh, him with him, uh, accompanied him into Asia. Watch these guys' names, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby. And Timotheus of Asia, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus, these going before tarried for us at Troas. Now, those, those are kind of interesting things. Paul is determined to get to Jerusalem, but he's going to make some stops. Uh, uh, men aren't like this normally, okay? If I've got to go to the shop, I'll go to the shop, get what I want, come home. Then your wife will say, oh, and can you stop by and get this? And can you go over here and check the price on that? So men don't normally do that. But Paul's saying, I know I need to get to Jerusalem, but I, I got to go back through all of, of Greece and stuff. I got to go check on those Christians. Paul had a burden for those Christians. So he leaves Ephesus with the desires in his mind and his heart that he's going to return. And so Ephesus is in the middle of the picture there on the very far western edge of modern Turkey. He's going to head up and go all the way around down to what we call as Corinth. He's going to come back there in, in this chapter before he starts island hopping and heading back to Jerusalem. So that's what we call the third missionary journey. And he spends three months in Greece. And did you notice he has some faithful men with him? Folks, Christianity is not a one-man show. When Jesus came, the first thing Jesus did was he called 12 men to be with him. Remember that? And that's what we've got to have. I'm the pastor of this church, but it's not a one-man show. I need men with me. I need men who will be able to do what I ask and help do what needs to be done. That is what Paul had, and these were faithful men. Then they have a traumatic church service, verse 6. <laughs> some church services have some interesting things that happen. Verse 6 says this, And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and they came unto them at Tro to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the what day of the week? Not the Sabbath, remember that. They have a traumatic, I mean, it's very upsetting for some people, but they had church on Sunday. <laughs> oh, that's my only day, get over it. It belongs to the Lord, not to us. You give the Lord the first, and you know what? He'll bless everything out, everything else. If you're constantly giving God the leftovers, guess what he gives you? The leftovers. So they meet on the first day of the week. They have church. Upon the first day of the week when the disciples, here's the next thing. Remember Hebrews 10, 25? 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Don't put off assembling together. They, they came together to break bread, so they assembled and they broke bread. They had meal together. We don't take it like this. We're, we're self-sufficient. We have food in the oven waiting for us when we get home. We have things to do, movies to watch. We have pillows we have dates with. Uh, but in that day, and for most of Christianity, if we ever got out of the house and stopped the chores and were with other Christians, we didn't want to go home. And so we stayed and we ate and we fellowshiped. That's what made Christianity, that's what made Christianity so powerful because they, they spent time together like family. And then Paul preached. Uh, verse 7, on the first day of the week, um, uh, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. And he continued his speech until noon. Is that what it says? Until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 4 o'clock? 9, 9 p.m.? No, till midnight. Don't ever complain about how long my preaching is, okay, ever again. Until midnight. What I say, this was a traumatic church service, remember? <laughs> Paul preached. Why would he why would he talk so much? Now, some people can talk the bark off a tree. But he's not just filling air. He's got something to say, and the people are hanging on every word. There's so much to learn. The New Testament wasn't written. So as he's describing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as he's describing and explaining the book of Romans before Romans was ever written, they hung on every word. They were so hungry to hear, and they stayed. And I believe this. I believe this type of hunger will never come back until we take a break and we put our phones down and our internet's off and our TV's off for two weeks and all of a sudden I guarantee you you'll be hungry for the book. That's the only way we'll ever have that type of hunger where when the preacher says I've got a few more points <laughs> and everybody goes amen. If I said that you say well I'm out of here. <laughs> it's a great church service. A little drama here going on a little long but then we meet Eutychus. Now, come here to verse, uh, verse 8. And there were many lights in the upper chamber. It's nighttime, okay? Where they were gathered together, and there sat in the window, window a certain young man named Eutychus. You'll never forget Eutychus after this message, okay? Being fallen into a deep sleep, like some people on Sunday morning. And as Paul was long preaching, he, Eutychus, sunk down with sleep, and he fell down from the third loft. That's 30 feet up. And he was taken up dead. Can you imagine? Everybody running down there. He's dead. <laughs> Talk about church going off. Amen. Boy, that ruined any type of service. Well, Paul goes down, verse 10. Paul went down, fell on him, embracing him, and said, trouble not yourselves. He's breathing again. Oh, man. Be nice to have Paul around. Amen. Guess what? If you fall asleep and break your neck during my preaching, you're dead. <laughs> there ain't nobody going to raise you then, so stay awake. Amen? I believe Eutychus became a missionary after this. I mean, he became sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul makes one more trip to Ephesus, and we've got to stop with this. Look in verse uh, 13. And um, 
So verse 12 says, uh, oh, I'm going to keep going there. I didn't um, finish 11. And when there, he therefore was come again and had broken bread and eaten and talked for a long while, even till Brent, and so he departed. So Paul's finishing. They went from midnight. I don't believe anybody could sleep after that event. All right. So they just stayed up all night and kept talking and fellowshipping together. And in the morning, um, uh, he departed, verse 12, and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. <laughs> I love the Bible. That means they were thrilled. Verse 13, and we, Luke and everybody, went before to, to ship and we sailed unto Asus. They're intending to take in Paul, for so he had appointed, minding himself to go afoot and when he met with us at Asus, we took him in and came to Melite, my Middleen, sorry, Middleen, and we sailed thence and came on the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. And Paul, had, for Paul had determined one more time to sail by Ephesus. So if I had the map on here, I'd show you. He went up and, and, and had gone through uh, Greece and then had come back and was at Troas. And then he starts island hopping, going around, and then he makes sure he stops in just south of Ephesus. Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus one more time. And this is the point because it's the beginning of next week's message. Because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. Now, why go back to Ephesus? And, and it's, he, he had to make this one last trip. It was so that the, ne the last, from 17 on, is one of the most important parts of the entire Bible for the mature Christian and for Christian leadership and especially for Christian men. And Paul will pour his heart out. It's one of the few entire preaching messages ever recorded in the Bible. You know about the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. That's his message. Well, this is Paul's Sermon on the Mount that we're about to read next week. So Paul says, I, I I preached up in Troas. I got I to gotta give it all at Ephesus. Why? Because it'll be his last time he sees him. He knows as he leaves Ephesus and goes to Jerusalem, everything. The riot in Ephesus was nothing compared to what was going to happen. He knew down in Jerusalem. So some of the most important things we need as Christians to heed are Paul's discussion next week. Hasn't the Bible turned entire nations around? It's because of this scripture that, that, that nations have a sense of, 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 of right and love. Without the Bible, it's dog-eat-dog. Dog. Dog. It's um, concerned. His race was more superior to everybody else's, wasn't it? The Bible never said that. The Bible says we are all made in the image of God, and we're all at the same level. We're all at zero. <laughs> and, and when you start going away from the Bible, you have war. You get the Bible, you have joy and peace, and you love one another as Christ loved us. So that Bible will upset people or turn things upside down, and it'll do that to you. I remember when I sat down, I heard preaching for the first time. I didn't like this woman telling me I was going to hell. And, uh, but she invited me to church, and as the preacher preached, every time he'd preach and mention the word hell, there's just something just rubbed me wrong, because I didn't believe in God. I definitely didn't believe in hell. And there's this guy talking like it's real. And slowly, that upsetness turned into fear. Maybe he's right. I better check the Bible. I better find out what Jesus actually said. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just like he describes. I am wicked 
I am lost. I have no hope unless he saves me. And on the 15th of June, 1980, that message that was upsetting me saved me. That's how it works. You say, well, I don't like going to church and getting uncomfortable. Then go to the club. And say, save me. If it takes somebody getting angry enough to storm out, to come back and go try again, then so be it. And it's not because we don't love you. Somebody who comes in, you are loved. And it's not you that we're upset about or that I'm upset about. I'm never preaching about anybody in specific except Gavin. I'm preaching about us. And my goal is that everyone, I wouldn't, I, I tell you, the tears in heaven, there'll be tears that God has to wipe away. The tears in heaven will be when we get to heaven and the people we thought were going to be there with us aren't. And that ought to scare us because not everybody who says they're a Christian is. And it ought to worry us. Pastor, preach a little louder because i got to make sure my son is saved. Preach a little louder because I need to make sure my mom is saved. That's what we need. And that was going on and Paul held nothing back. I hope you're thrilled at the gospel truth. Maybe you get upset. Come back. Next week I'll thrill you. <laughs> but if you are thrilled by what this Bible says, then it ought to show. It ought to make you want to move up on the front row. It ought to give you a song. It ought to give you a, a desire to grab tracks and hand them out. Folks, on a Saturday, I kind of always have loads of things to do. But at 1 o'clock, I meet up with Bill, and, and Bill just thrills me. He's here early and going out and going to a door and saying, where would you go if you died today? It does something for you. It opens your heart to compassion and to a different kingdom. And it ought to show in our lives. Paul is not just sitting there waiting for people to come to him. He's going to them. Let's do the same. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we're watching Luke as he records the life of Paul. It's kind of like watching Matthew record the life of Jesus. And there's just activity and there's compassion and burden and passion in everything he's doing. And he's not showing off. As a matter of fact, it's nearly costing his life. He's burdened for people. He's burdened that people who are pagan, who have no interest in God, he's burdened that they would know Jesus and would understand their idolatry is nothing. Their magnificent temples are empty. And that the God who made them loves them and died for them and wants them and can save them if they would cry out to him now. Oh, if they would just believe who Jesus is what he can do. Well, that same message is still true today. Maybe there's somebody in this room who's sort of stayed back and let the gospel upset them over and over and over again. I pray, God, let today, I pray they would finally say, all right, I know it's true and I believe with all my heart. Cry out from your heart of hearts. Lord, help somebody cry out to you and receive the gift of eternal life. It's a gift. So Lord, let it show on their face. And whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he that believeth shall not be ashamed. There's no shame in it. There's just joy in it. 
Lord, I pray that our world would see us in light. This month is probably one of the most depressing months of the year. It just goes dark. We need some light. I pray you thrill some Christians to be in that light. So bless us, Lord, as we finish this service with an invitation. Help every person say, Lord, I'm sorry I've let your word agitate me, upset me. Lord, all I want for it to do from now on is to change me. In Jesus' name, amen.